Hey, welcome to the Lyric House Church podcast. Our mission is to host a house for him. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our live service. Make sure to check out our Facebook page for details about upcoming events and information on our small groups that meet throughout the week. Thank you for being part of our broader community, and we hope you enjoy this podcast. God is good. All the time. And all the time? God is good. Amen. <laughs> Whew, man, I'll take that odd one now. Oh, magically appeared. We, I'm sorry, we're Christians. We don't believe in magic. All right, praise God. I don't know about you guys, but I love that medley we did at the end. That you are holy. Medley, I could do that every week. I know we can't do it every week, but I just connect with that song and worship. It just is awesome because it's really all about him. There's no part of it that says me. It's all him. And, uh, and I'm not here to, like, whatever. I just, I connect with worship songs that are about worshiping God. And so and I, this isn't my point at all today, but I'm going to say this. You need to understand, if you don't already, that not every song that is a Christian song is a worship song. There's worship songs. There's declaration songs. um, There's confession songs. I don't know all the songs. I didn't come to talk about this, but I'm just saying songs have different purposes. Sometimes it's just a fun song. It's okay, Christians, to have a fun song. It doesn't have to be all everything so spiritual or we're going to throw it to the curb. It's okay to have a fun song, but understand the purposes behind the words that you're singing, because I will say this, having visited many, many churches, the average Christian doesn't understand the difference between a worship song or a declaration song or a confession song or a testimony song. Some of these songs that we get really inspired by are actually testimony songs. Like, oh, I used to be this bad guy, and then I saw the light, right? And then Jesus came and saved me, and now I'm not this bad guy anymore, and glory, hallelujah. And people will identify with that because you're identifying with the testimony. But And it's okay, hear me, it's okay to sing and testify about what God has done. But don't mistake that for a straight-up worship song. Out of that testimony song, if it was to be sang in a church, I would hope the result would be that your heart would be inspired and then you, as an individual worshiper, would be inspired to quit singing the words of the song and begin to go, Lord, I praise you for the work you've done in my life. And it would connect you somehow to what God has done and the resurrection power that you experienced and then we can do it. But what happens in a lot of these songs is we get connected to the soulish realm the natural man instead of the spiritual man. And you hear these songs, you start identifying with, oh yeah, I'm depressed, and I'm I'm sad, and I'm lonely. And and it's not inspiring a lot of people to actually go, God, you are amazing. I'm not here to preach against worship music or to hold some conference. I don't have all the info. I'm just telling you. There's a difference in the anointing you experience when when you actually sing a worship song that's all about worshiping God from your heart than singing some of these other songs. You know one of my favorite songs? 
See, I'm not against them. Older people in here, if you've been in church for years, you're going to know. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Your life frees me to sing. I don't even know if that's right. Is that right? Yeah, I will praise him all my days. I will praise him all my days. It's a, it's a declaration song. Hail Jesus, you're my king, you know, and all this stuff. I will praise you and all this stuff. And, and I love it. It's fun. And it's me going, yes, I love you. I praise you. I follow you. I serve you. But do you hear the main focus of that? I. I, 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 I. So what happens after you leave church and you're all energized? You know, yeah, yeah. I will serve you, I will praise you. And you go out here and some guy almost runs over you and beep, beep, and then flips you off. You didn't do nothing wrong. You were even on the sidewalk. And all of a sudden, hail Jesus, you're my king. Your life frees me to sing, right? No, you're like, I'm going to kill you. And you're in the street shaking your fist and hollering. You know, it's this declaration song. It's, and, and don't look at me so holy like you've never done that before. I mean, come on. If you have never never been left a church service and had the devil smack you right between the eyes and you do some response that is the opposite of what you just declared in church, then you're not a human being Christian that's alive in this place. Because it happens to us. We just want to pretend that it doesn't. Courtney, where's Courtney? Uh, will you come up here, please? We're going to turn this around where nobody can see it. Or maybe the backside will clean. I don't know. Secrets. Secrets. No, the backside doesn't. Okay, well, we're going to turn this around. Oh, there's kitty cats here. Don't get me started. Is that a cat? Let's say it's a ferret. It's a ferret. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. You didn't know you were coming to the puppet show. Hi, Courtney. How are you? I'm good. I'm the devil. Do something bad. Sorry, Children's Church Day is coming back. I need puppets and stuff. Okay, secret time, though, for real. TikTok, TikTok. Right. You know, I'm breaking every rule that you ever get taught about teaching and preaching and being in front of people. And, 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 but I bet some other people would preach. I'm not staring at my wife. If some people would preach, if they could stand back here while they did it. Why wouldn't you like that? Okay, here we go. Sorry, I'll quit playing. It's okay, guys, to have fun. Take a breath. I don't know about you, but I was just enjoying his presence in worship. And I'm, I'm filled up. I'm excited. And we're going to talk about some stuff. I'm not going to waste your time. Your time is important. What I have to say is important. I'm going to minister the word. But we don't have to have our church services going like a train that can't be stopped. Like, it's okay. So take a breath. Give me 30 seconds. guys. Ain't nothing like last minute preparations, right? Well, I had no idea I was going to talk about any of this until we were worshiping and the Holy Spirit said, I don't want you to teach what you came to teach or what you brought. I want you to talk about this. And so then I'm like, okay, great. Instead of me trying to explain it to you, I can have, because they're awesome, I can have a picture that I can turn around to use as a, as a, what is it called? Thank you, object lesson. See, I'm going to get this. 
So, so, uh, so God is good, amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me over so we open the Bible so nobody can say we didn't do that. Over to, uh, let's go to Romans. I want you to go to Romans 12. I'm going to talk about a verse. I'll read a verse that if you've been in church any time at all, you should know this verse. You should have it memorized probably. You've got it. You've heard it. You're probably wearing a T-shirt that's got it on it. I can quote it, but I don't, I won't, don't want to misquote. Be not. I read the truly. There we go. I can see. Romans chapter 12. We'll just start at verse 1. He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Okay, Lord, you're going to have to help me do this. Hallelujah. By what? By what? By the mercies of God. I want everybody to say that. I, I'm not, I know you're not children. I know this isn't little church, but you know what? It's okay to get involved with this sometimes. Everybody just say, mercies of God. Or say it this way, God's mercy. God's mercy. One more time, God's mercy. God's mercy. What does God's mercy mean to you? What is mercy? A simple definition of mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's just a simple definition. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Amanda did something wrong. She broke the law, and she deserves a speeding ticket. However, that officer comes up to the car and sees four kids in the back crying and, then, and has compassion upon her and says, even though you broke the law, I am going to show you mercy and I'm not going to write you a ticket. I'm going to give you a warning. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Amanda goes, I understood the law. I saw the speed limit. I took a test, that, and I signed a paper saying I will obey these laws. I broke the law. <laughs> Speeding maybe hits close to home, right? Yeah, no. And, and I, I said that, and I was like, oops, never mind. But <laughs> apparently, this gentleman back here, somebody's pointing at me. No, I'm However, the... Uh, it's like the mercy is not getting what you deserve, right? And mercy is, is really is a good thing, guys. Grace, a simple definition of grace. There's, there's different ways on how I want to talk about grace, but for today, I'm going to use this one. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, right? There's other definitions we, we could use, but just for today. I know it's unmerited favor, and we can go through all this stuff, but just listen. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. And in God's, and I want this very clear, in the Word of God, in God's kingdom, and you may not understand this, but we're going to hopefully tear this down a little bit today. In God's kingdom, getting what you don't deserve never has to do with punishment for a believer. It never has to do with condemnation for someone who's in Christ. Getting what you don't deserve never has anything to do with something bad, even for an unbeliever. God is just. He's just and righteous and holy in his judgments. And when God does release judgment upon a situation, it is not without cause. Now we're like, I got your attention because it's a judgment. When God releases it, it is not without cause. God does not arbitrarily just go, I don't like the way they look today. Zap them. <laughs> 
it's just true. But for a believer, oh, I like the color. See, she's, that's why I had to do it. Leave it there for a minute. That's perfect. Thank you. Everybody give Courtney a hand. Thank you so much, Courtney. See, you're clapping in faith because you don't know what she drew. It could look like this right here, which we could clap for. That's a dinosaur mouth. I won't do it. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Okay? I haven't got through the first verse yet. That's why I said, Lord, help me with this so I don't just take off and preach forever on this. Mercy, guys. I'm still not going to get there. I have to say this. Mercy. God desires mercy over judgment. It says mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy, guys. Mercy. In the natural world, what do we want? We want, get him, Jesus. Get him. Come on, let's be real. In the church, let's not play games. Let's be real. We're real people. We're real people, guys. And we serve a God who, who is real and loves us and hears us and knows us. And in spite of all that, he still loves us, right? And, and we, we can act all holy all we want. But there have been times, probably, I won't put it on you, there have been times in my life, for sure, and there's probably been times in your life where you're super spiritual. And by praying the prayer, you try to make it spiritual, but you're really saying, God, get up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hopefully that's not what you're doing today and what we're not doing now. But there's, we do this stuff sometimes where we're like, get them. Here's the problem, though. If you demand judgment for them, then you get judgment for you. If you demand that God judges them for their actions, what you're saying is, I'm stepping out of grace. I'm stepping out of mercy. I'm coming back under the law, God, and I want you to judge them for what they did because they hurt me and they wronged me and they did it and it hurts. And God, hallelujah, praise God, doesn't listen to that foolishness. He doesn't act according to that foolishness. Because a lot of times that comes from hurt. Because our emotions, right? Our emotions get involved. Listen to me. I'm not teaching on emotions today, but one of the number one things you need to learn as a Christian is how to control or harness your emotions with the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your emotions, just because you feel something doesn't mean it's true. Your emotions lie. Your emotions lie. And if you think in your life how many decisions you've made based on emotion, it's scary. If you live on emotion, guess what? It will motion you into places you don't want to be. Your emotions, if you don't control them with the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm being specific in what I'm saying, by the Word of God, with the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you don't learn how to harness and control your emotions, they will motion you into everywhere. And you'll be a mess. Your life will be a mess, and you're going to go, I was promised peace and love and joy, and I don't experience any of this. And then you're going to blame God for it. And you'll find some preacher somewhere who will tell you it's because you have sin in your life, or you did this, or you did that, and the judgment's coming, and, and then you're going to get and put this weight upon yourself, and you're going to start working this religious work trying to be good enough to get God's favor. And that's a futile effort. Because you can never be good enough to get God's favor. 
Everybody say, oh me, oh my. You can never be good enough to get God's favor, but praise be to God that though we were dead in our sins and transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ, having forgiven all of our sins and having taken away and abolished the decree of commandments, which was ordinances, which was hostile towards us and against us, having taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. That's Colossians chapter 2. You can find it right there. Having nailed it to the cross. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to get back over here. The problem is one thought process goes to the next thought process. Amen? Because what we live in, in churches, guys. I don't know if you understand this. And if you're new to church, praise God. If you've been in church for a long time, praise God. But guess what? Somebody new to church has less to unlearn than somebody who's been in church for a long time. Most likely. Most likely. A lot of good people. A lot of good intentions. I'm talking about the body of Christ across the board. They're not our enemies. Somebody needs to hear this. The other Christians are not your enemy. It's like we fight amongst ourselves. Why? Because we're comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. And God specifically says, like four times that I can think of right now, when you compare yourself amongst yourselves, you're a fool. We're not supposed to be comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. Amen? But I want to say this very clearly. The brothers and sisters in this room are not your enemy. For you do not war against flesh and blood. And some of you are going, that's right, they got the devil in them. Get them! And we're back to what I was talking about a minute ago. But we war against principalities and powers in heavenly places. Can I throw a little thought in there for you? Instead of thinking about demon forces, the principalities and powers, have you ever considered that to be religious leaders and um, denominations? and religious doctrines. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. Satan in a high place. It's them being exalted into a place of authority, a place of power. I'm not saying it doesn't apply to Satan. Don't, don't kill me if it's your favorite verse and you've built your life on that. I'm not trying to take that away. All I'm saying is, have you ever stopped to consider in the principalities and powers he could be talking about religion? and leaders teaching religion. We take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of Christ. It's in the same passage, guys. I'm not pulling cherry-picking verses. As it says, we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in heavenly places, right? But we take every thought captive and bring it to the obedience of what? Of Christ. How many people are taking thoughts and bringing it to the obedience of what their pastor teaches? How many people are taking thoughts and bringing it to the obedience of what your favorite TV evangelist preaches? We're taking thoughts and we're being obedient to what our denomination believes. You know one thing I've discovered in 20-something years of ministry? The truth is available. But not many people let the truth get in the way of what they 
believe. It's available. And it's not even really hidden. It takes a hungry person to come with an honest heart to God. Listen, if you're coming to God, you're coming in faith. I hope. Maybe you're coming to God going, I'm a good person. I've done good stuff. I'm, I'm this. And, and I don't want to preach that message today. But by the works of the flesh, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified before him. It doesn't matter how good you are. You can have 32 degrees in, in knowledge and being good and you're still frozen. I stole that from Andrew. I like that one. It's not about what you know. It's not about what you do. It's about who you know and who you are, right? Or whose you are. Coming to him from an honest place, a sincere faith. And, and it says, it says in, in, what is that? It's Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, now faith is the substance, the evidence of things not yet seen. Now, faith is the substance. It talks about the shadow in there. It talks about there being a type and shadow and the, and the shadow of what's to come in Scripture. And I know I'm not going deep in that, but some of you understand. I'm just referencing it. But it turns from that, because if I talk about it, I'll spend the next 20 minutes trying to explain it. So there's a type and shadow in the Bible where it's showing like, oh, and, and here's the thing. So what does it mean by shadow? Like this, There's things casting shadows. We all know what a shadow looks like. It's casting a shadow. And it, and it showed things about Jesus, which was a type of him who was to come. You know, um, uh, Melchizedek was a high priest. I'm not going through Melchizedek, I promise. But he was a type. Melchizedek after, uh, uh, Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, right? And he was a type of him who was to come. Not him, the type of him who was to come. Now I have my own opinions about him. I think it was Jesus, but that's for another whole message, praise God. Because I'll have to unpack that for 45 minutes. But it was a type of him. All these things were types, but not that. But it says now the fullness has come. And I promise we'll get there. If this ain't making sense, stick with me for a minute. It will. But now the fullness has come. It's, we don't have to have a shadow. We're not chasing a shadow. Has anybody ever taken a laser pointer or a flashlight that's bright and gone on the ground with dogs or cats? I would never do this often. I had a friend who had a dog, and we just tormented that poor thing because he, that thing could jump this high because I knew because you put it on the wall and it would go up there to get it. And what we are a lot of times is we're looking at the shadow things and we're chasing the shadows of things. We get in religious works and we're always going after the shadow of things. Why? Oh, God moved over here. Oh, there's a move. Let's go. And we flock over to some place that we heard God was moving. I'm going to say this in love, and if you're one of these people who do that, please love me. I'm not trying to be hard, hard, but what I'm telling you is that comes from a lack of understanding who you are in Christ and who he is in you. You don't need to run anywhere and go to any place to have an experience with God. You need to come, like I've been saying, with an honest, open heart and seek him. How many people get born again and they're on fire, they're set free, a weight comes off of them, and they're just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And they go to a church somewhere and the church tells them, you don't know anything, sit down and learn. And then after months and months and months of time, the fire begins to wane. You know what, guys? The Holy Spirit designed this on purpose. God did something amazing for us. And I want to call it the, the grace bubble, amen? The faith bubble. I'm just making up words. That's not scripture. The grace and faith bubble, amen? 
You know what that is? That is something, it's a dispensation given to new believers. That when they get born again and they confess the Lord as their Savior and they believe it, not just pressured into saying some prayer, but when they understand. Let me say this and I won't stay on it. I'll say two things now. We have, have been called to make disciples, not converts. The church has been twisted by Satan into making converts instead of disciples. This is why we have the mess we have. That's why there's all this infighting. That's why there's all this stuff, because we make converts. So we have to, if you believe on this side and you believe on that side, then I'm, I'm evangelizing believers out of their doctrine into our doctrine. Because our doctrine is better than your doctrine. And they're sending people over this side, going, oh, we're going to evangelize you out of this, into this doctrine. And we're all in Christ. We're one body. We're every joint ligament that is supposed to supply. Instead of we're biting and devouring, hurting and fighting. Who's behind that? I say it's time to open our eyes. Lift up our eyes. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. When was the last time someone told you, lift up your eyes and look? Because when you really look at the Holy Spirit begins to show you something and you see someone standing there that's hurt and broken and has problems and addictions, you shouldn't be going, I need to steal them from that church. You, you need to be like, I want them to know Jesus. They need Jesus. You need Jesus. And the reason you lost your fire, because when you got born again, you got put, the Holy Spirit came in you. He, he, you were baptized in Jesus. The Holy Spirit took you spiritually, baptized you in the blood of Jesus, washed you, made you clean. He went, and he breathed his life in you. And you were dead in your sins and transition, uh, transgressions. But you were made alive together with him. It says in Ephesians that we were buried with him in baptism. But we were raised to walk. Hear me. Buried with him in baptism. Oh, praise the Lord. The scripture ends there. Put period. I was buried with him in baptism. I'm dead. I'm just an old dead Christian. I'm just trying to make it to heaven. I'm just holding the fort, waving the white flag. Someday, you know why I'm here. I'm just an old sinner. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And one day I'll be in glory land, but I've just got to make it through. You know I'm saying that, but you know how many hundreds, not exaggerating, hundreds of times in my life I've heard that testimony in a church, on a microphone from various people. Oh, praise the Lord, I'm just a barely, I'm barely making it today. And here's their testimony. But I'm here today to testify of the Lord. I'm not trying to make fun of them. Please understand, I'm, I'm trying to bring out a mindset. I'm here today. I barely made it, but I'm here to testify that he's my Savior. And someday, though it's hard here, someday there'll be peace in the valley. And everybody's like, amen, praise the Lord. I'm not making fun of them. What I'm saying is it's the state of our churches across the board. And that is so the opposite of what God has called for us. You are not an old sinner saved by grace. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have confessed him as your Lord, and you said, yes, you are my Savior and my Lord, and you confess him, then it says you are born again. Right? And Nicodemus says, 
query. How could a man who's old and has a big white beard go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Right? Because naturally you're like, what the heck? This don't work. I think that's illegal. Like, we can't do this, Jesus. It's crazy. Jesus is like, I'm not talking about the natural. He, I mean, he says some stuff that's crazy, but he's talking about the spirit. He's like, you've got to be born again. And I'm not going to teach on this today, really, that we're born spiritually dead, separated from God. I do need to say that for what's going to turn around in a minute. Gosh, I hate time. Because I'm trying to not go long today, but I got to get through what I feel like God's put in my heart. Because I'm famous for preaching for longness, so I'm trying to not do that. To honor you guys. Plus, you can only stick in as much as your backside can handle, right? And so, I get it. That's why I'm looking. I'm not bound by time, but I'm trying to be respectful and mindful. You get saved by the power of God. The transformative power of the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you were dead. You were spiritually dead and separated, and God breathes life into you. His Spirit comes and brings life into you, and then, according to Ephesians, and there's other places, but this is the one I can think of at the moment, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He's given as a pledge of your eternal inheritance until the day of your own redemption, until Jesus comes and, and claim, lays claim, Right? When you were dead in your sins and transgressions, it says, you heard the message of truth, which is the gospel of salvation, and having believed it. Do you hear that? That's the scripture. You read Ephesians chapter 1 later. I'm quoting it. You, you, after hearing the message of your salvation, it says, the gospel of truth, having also believed it in him, you were sealed. And already says before that that you were forgiven, that he's, he's wiped away all your sins, he's taken away all your stuff, right? And then after all this stuff, now you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, I promise. The reason I'm saying this is I've got three things to close up to flip this board. I'm saying this because you weren't saved by your own, right? You were saved by the grace and mercy of God by the power of God. And if you could never be good enough to earn your salvation, it was a free gift, right? That no one should boast. It's given freely. I want you to understand free gift doesn't mean it didn't cost anything. It cost Jesus his life. He laid down his life. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. He looked at, he, he said, says, for the joy set before the Bible literally says, he despised the shame of the cross. Yet for the joy set before him, he was obedient even unto death on the cross. Why? Because he looked at you and he saw the end result of what the sacrifice would do and he saw the transformation that was coming and he said, I will do this. And don't tell me he was dancing and a DJ getting excited to go to the cross because he's in the garden literally having hemohydosis, which means sweating drops of blood. It means that you're under so much emotional and physical distress that the capillaries next to your skin begin to burst and blood begins to come out of your pores. This is a medical condition that's not very common. It's extremely rare, but the medical community recognizes this and studies it, and, and it can happen to people who are under great, tremendous stress. 
And it's usually not physical, it's more emotional. But they come under this great stretch. Your, your, your blood vessels next to your skin, the capillaries break, and you begin to bleed. Remember, Jesus was sweating drops of blood. What was he doing in that moment? He's in the garden saying, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He's feeling the weight of everything starting to come on him. But he says something amazing. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And then he gets up and goes and he kicks his disciples in a loving way. I mean, that's how I picture him. Like, hey, wakes him up. Jesus, get up. The hour is coming. The time for the Son of Man to be glorified is come. And they turn and the soldiers come. You know, when the soldiers come, one of the, one of the gospels records that they come up to him and he says, Jesus says, whom are you seeking? sorry. It's just so awesome. It's just so awesome, guys, and we so underplay the power and glory of our God. We so underplay who he is. Trust me, I don't want to stand up here and cry like an idiot. I'm just telling you, God is so much greater than what we've given him glory for and what we've understood. He's so much bigger than this little lonely religious understanding that we've tried to put around him. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the creator. He's the beginning and the end, guys. He has created all of this. And Jesus Christ was God in the flesh walking here. He is the exact representation. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. In past times and sundry times in various ways, God spoke to the prophets and to the fathers in many portions and in many ways. In these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom is the heir of all things. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his image, the exact representation of his nature and his character, the image of his glory. That's who Jesus is. And we beheld him as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace. They come to him and they and he says, Who are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes, I am he. Understand that when Jesus went and prayed, there were multiple times scripture records that angels came and ministered to him. He saw the Father and talked with the Father every single day. And I can I can go to a bunch of verses. I don't have time. I can go to a bunch of verses that says where it says, Jesus, you've heard him, you've read him, you know it. Jesus says, I don't do anything. John 15 is one of them. John, uh, where is it? Uh, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. John 14. John 14 is one of them. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. (laughs) You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, then I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way and where I'm going. Right? And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? 
And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. And if you go down a little further, we'll talk about he's the image of God. I can't quote the whole thing for you. I can't, but i got to move on because I want to preach all these other things. Okay, John 1, 1. How about that? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God, and the Word was with God. And he, Jesus, was in the beginning with him, and nothing was, all things that were created was created by him and for him, and nothing that was created was created apart from him. And then it says, and he is the image of God. I mean, in my Bible, if I was to flip to the verses, I have a little note sheet because I keep it in there because I love to look at them. I've got 12 or 14 verses that literally says, he is the image of God. So Jesus is praying in the garden. He's experiencing hemohydrosis or hemohytosis. It depends. They say it the same way, but I like hydrosis better because hydrosis makes me think I need a mint. So, So he's like, he's sweating drops of blood and, and doing all this. But what it doesn't tell you is that the Spirit is ministering to him. He's seeing the Father. Something's going on because he says stuff like this. I don't do anything, John 15, on my own initiative. But that which I see... Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. I know where I was trying to go in John 14. One. Uh, John 14, I mean, John 14, he said, show us the Father. I skipped that part. He says, show us the Father. And it will be enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you this long and yet you do not know me? Truly, I say to you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In John 15, he says, I don't do anything on my own initiative, but that, what I see the Father doing, that is what I do. And and I won't quote it all, but he goes through and says, basically, God reveals to me what he wants me to do, where he wants me to go, what he wants me to say. And everything I do is where he wants me and doing and saying what he wants. I have come, not on my own accord, but on his. And he says this repeatedly through scripture. And then, let's throw this in there. Anybody know about the Mount of Transfiguration? I don't even know what the mountain was. I don't remember. I just remember of Transfiguration. And this is a time when, when, when Jesus was praying and he took two of his disciples with him. Three of his disciples went with him. Uh, Peter, James, and John, they went up there with him. And, and he goes up on this mountain and he begins to pray. And as he's praying, it says that the veil of his flesh was removed. What does that mean? Have you ever thought about these things that we read? Or do you just read over them and go, yeah, 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 yeah. The veil of his flesh was removed. And, and, and he, he was glorified is what we call it. And they saw him standing there glowing. It says like the sun. It's glowing like the son of man, like the bright, the sun shining in all its glory. Jesus went up there and was praying. And their eyes were open and they could see what was going on in the spiritual realm. The veil of his flesh was removed and all of a sudden, They couldn't really look at him. And then, and then they saw Moses and Elijah coming down from the heavens, and angels also, and Moses and Elijah coming down and ministering to him. And you know, they're like, Gah! And you know when the Pharisees and the Sadducees would come up and go, well, we're going to get you in the law. You know these disciples were going, they, they couldn't say anything. I'll tell you why in a minute. But you know they wanted to say, oh, bro, 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 bro. You ain't got nothing on him, man. Moses, who you're trying to quote, literally showed up and said, what up, Jesus? Here's what I think. I mean, you know what I'm saying? The Pharisees are like, Moses said this and Moses said that. You know, Peter would be like, oh, really? Because I just saw Moses. And that's not what he was saying. I mean, it happened. 
And when it happened, they were like dumbfounded. I mean, they were like, they fell at their faces and began to worship. And they, <laughs> because they're people, they're human like you and me. They didn't know what to do with this. You know why? It was a supernatural event. It means it supersedes, goes above and beyond. That's actually what super means, is above and beyond. It goes above and beyond the natural realm. And they literally just had lockjaw. So then, I think it was Peter, his jaw gets freed up a little bit. And Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> I mean, that's what he says. Lord, it's good for us to be here. Because since we were here and witnessed this, we'll build three tabernacles. One for you. One for Moses and one for Elijah. And then it says that God came in a cloud and overshadowed them. And, they, and it was lightnings and thunders in the cloud. And they fell on their faces trembling. And a loud voice that shook the mountain said, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. And then when the cloud went away, they were still face down in the dirt. And Jesus comes over, hey, get up, get up, get up. Get up. I know you thought you had a good idea. Get up. And then he charged them not to tell anyone this story. You know, they're like, okay, okay, Jesus, what? Don't, what? Don't tell anybody? Come on! Come on! I mean, come on! I mean, they had this story to tell. Can you imagine not? I won't tell the joke, but it reminds me of the pastor who calls in sick to church. And then he goes out there. Okay, I guess I'm telling you. So his pastor calls in sick to church, and he's playing hooky, and the associate can preach. And it was a beautiful day. He woke up. It was, the high was going to be 64 degrees. The wind was at two miles an hour coming out of the east. And he said, oh, I'm going golfing. And he gets up there, and he gets up there in the first hole, and he tees up. He hits, connects with that ball like he never has. And Jesus looks over, and he goes, check this out. He says, hey, hey, Father, check this out. And the ball hits and rolls once and falls right in the hole. Hole in one. This pastor's dancing out there. He's dancing. He's never had a hole in one in his life. And the Holy Spirit looks at Jesus. He's like, why'd you do that? And he goes, who's it going to tell? <laughs> He's supposed to be a homesick in bed. Who's he going to tell? He can't tell him. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like that's how these disciples were like, ah, we just saw a spiritual hole in one. Like, we have these things to tell people. And like, you can't tell anybody. Have you ever thought about that? And they're just like, you have to be quiet, you know? And so they go, they go out there, and uh, I don't even know how I got on this. Praise the Lord, you're awesome. But, but they see all this stuff, and it's, and it's Jesus. This is where I'm trying to get to. I'm, I'm coming back, see? Holy Spirit's good. And so now we're back to the garden. We're back to the garden, and Jesus is there. The soldiers are there. Remember? The soldiers are there. There was a question answer or asked, but never answered. And so he says, whom are you seeking? And and And... They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And it says they all fell to their faces and began to tremble. All these soldiers, we think, oh, they came and took Jesus. 
No, they came. Jesus now he said, I am he. And there's so much power from the encounter he was just having and so much authority in who he was. He literally said, I am he. And the power was such, I don't know what they saw, but they fell on their faces and trembled. And then they finally got back up and they said, who, and again, he says, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus Nazareth. And he says, I have told you, I am he. But what I'm trying to say is there's so much power that we don't understand. We, we don't fully understand who Jesus is because we don't understand the power in him. We try to humanize him to make him more like us. This is the truth. We want Jesus to be like us. I promise you, you don't want Jesus to be like you. But what we do by making him the God-man, he's fully God, he's fully man. That's true. I can't teach all this because, again, this is like Christianity 101 stuff, guys. He's fully God, he's fully man. It'll take me 45 minutes to scripturally show you all this stuff. I, everybody got it, amen? Fully God, fully man. But being fully man, he was a perfect man. He wasn't ever born with a sin nature. Jesus didn't have to get born again. He was born. He wasn't born into sin. He was born into flesh, but he wasn't born into sin. Why? Because he's the seed of God. He was God in the flesh. He didn't have a sin nature. Jesus, I, I'm going to say this, and it's going to hurt somebody's feelings and make somebody mad at me, but Jesus ain't like you. He's not like you. We're trying to experience him through our sufferings and go like, Jesus was like me. Jesus understands me. Because we use verses from like Hebrews where it says, uh, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted and tested in all ways as we have, yet without sin. Did you get that key part? Who's been tempted and tested in here? Anybody? Have you uh, done it without ever sinning? Are you without sin? Of course not. Of course not. But he was without sin. Therefore, we can go boldly to the throne of judgment. We can go boldly to the throne of judgment. The Bama seat of Christ, you goat. How dare you even look to the Lord. He'll separate you. I pray God would get you in this service. Come on now. How many times have you heard about the throne and the judgment seat of Christ? And you better be perfect. Be ye holy as I am holy. And Christ is returned for a bride without spot or wrinkle. Amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So then the preacher comes up here and goes, here, I got my wrinkle remover. Let me spit you. Psst, psst, psst. What is it? It's always the law. It's always the law. It's always tied to the law. But I've read somewhere over there in Romans, I want to say, chapter 7 says, the law gives strength to sin. Here, here's the little law. Brian's like, dude, I didn't have sin with that problem until you preached about it. It's amazing how many people don't have problems with lust until the pastor will spend a three-week thing preaching on lust, and then everybody in the church has a problem with lust. Starting with the pastor is why he was preaching it, if we're honest. Paul said, I want to be known for preaching nothing but save, preaching nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. It says we can go boldly to the throne of grace. That 
right there is good news, brothers and sisters. That is good news. Because so many Christians, because we don't understand who he is and what he did, we are afraid to approach his throne. But it says when we're tempted and tested and we're failing and messing up, it says we have a high priest who can understand with us and will help us and we can go boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy and help in our time of need. There's that word again, mercy. What was mercy? Not getting what you deserve. So when you're messing up through temptations and stuff and you go to the throne of grace, you get mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Come on. How, let's be honest. How many times have you been in church have you heard be, about the throne of judgment being afraid? Because in Revelation, there's coming a day where there's a day of judgment. I'm not taking away from that. But I'm telling you, if you are in Christ, you are secure. You've already been judged. Jesus bore your judgment upon the cross, and you've been judged righteous, holy, and blameless. Colossians chapter 1. You've already been judged righteous, holy, and without blame in Christ. He bore your judgment. Your sins are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. He said, after those days, says the Lord, Hebrews chapter 10, after those days, says the Lord, I will write my laws upon their hearts and upon their minds where I write them, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no longer. We've got a little chalkboard. It's not chalk. We've got a little board up here. Anybody heard the phrase clean slate? You know what was taught to me when I was born again? Well, when you asked Jesus to come in, all your sins were washed away. You got a clean slate. But now, every time you do something wrong, you have to remember that sin so that you can go and ask for forgiveness. That is the predominant doctrine in the um, evangelical church today. That is the predominant doctrine regarding your salvation. And you know what it is? It's dishonoring to the blood of Jesus. Some of you guys are going to get hard-hearted and not listen to me because that's where you live. But I'm going to tell you there's a place of freedom beyond that. It's called faith in Christ. How about try this? Instead of confessing your sins to God, how about you, you confess Jesus over your life? It looks something like this. Instead of You know what it looks like to confess your sins. <clears throat> Worship starts. You hope that first song is a good one so that you can get all that junk out. Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm not worthy. I can't do this. I just screwed up. I messed up. I did all this bad. Lord, uh, the second song. This is why we sing songs that are, that are convicting songs. We don't. I'm not in charge of it, but she don't. Because we feel like you got to know who you are in Christ so you can come in here and you don't need all that. You can come in going, yes, I'm free. But you know, most worship sets are, are programmed for you to pull your heartstrings. We need a song to make them feel how bad they were this week so they'll want to open their heart up and all this stuff. You know what it looks like. I'm sorry, Lord. Then you finally, something happens by, somewhere in the middle of the second song, and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, God. Please forgive me. And then what have you done? You've cleansed your conscience. You now feel better because you've denied the guilt you had. You feel a little better. Now you can go, okay, now I can worship you, and hopefully have a good last song. So you're like, you're holy. 
Mm -hmm. And we're not making fun or making light. I'm saying I lived there. I've been there. And there's a place better than that. And it's called faith in Christ. And it's knowing that my sins and my foolish things that I do, though I will reap consequences in this life, in the natural world, have no consequence with my relationship and right standing with my God and Savior. It can't affect it. If I can't do enough good deeds to get saved, I can't do enough bad deeds to lose it. That'll mess with your brain, but it's true, guys. That's just practical logic if you break it out. But we don't use logic a lot of times with Christianity because it's super spooky and there's no logic to it. That's crazy. It's, it works, guys. If you can't do anything to earn it, you can't do anything to keep it. Does that make sense? How'd you get it? By faith in Christ. How do you keep it? By faith in Christ. You keep your faith in Jesus. Look, I have gone with brothers and sisters multiple times. Usually it's guys because I don't deal with the women. Um, sorry. I don't mean that in a bad way. That sounded terrible. What I'm about to say is like they're, they're drug addicts. And if I do meet a woman that's a drug addict, I don't deal with that because it's improper. I'm a man, and I don't care what it is, the devil wants to get in there, and if they're a drug addict, they're probably willing to do whatever and do say whatever, and I'm not dumb enough to put myself in that trap. So if we encounter that, I have a wife, and I can be like, hey, honey, I got somebody for you to go talk to. See ya! I'll be there and watch, but she takes the lead. We bring other people in. There's practical things that we just don't even look at. Anyways, I can't preach. That's a whole other message. Um, hallelujah. We're going to do it in short time. We're going to do it. Faith. We're people of faith. Amen. Many times I have been with good people who got born again, messed up, and went back into drugs. And I have seen them broken because the churches they went to told them they lost their salvation. And they... I feeling like they're, I mean, they're, I mean, I'm literally talking about going in their houses while they're laying there weeping and moaning on the floor because they think they're going to hell and there's nothing they can do. And having to try to talk reason to them and sometimes wait till they sober up and dump water on them and hear, I don't know, I'm not for coffee. I'm like 14 Red Bulls down your throat, buddy. And whatever, but when they finally sober up and you can talk with them, to talk with them, and you know what? They're all, they're, they say the same thing. And I ask them the same question. Let me ask you something. I know what you did. I don't need to hear any more about what you did. I want to ask you, who do you believe Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Oh, I said, no, no, no. I didn't ask you about your sin. I didn't ask you about forgiveness. I didn't ask you about nothing. I said, who? And I usually get real strong with them. Like, I'm not, I am a nice guy. But when it comes to those times, I'll tell you what you need to hear. I, I want to tell you everything I've done. If you need to be roughed up a little bit, I'll rough you up a little bit. I'll just say that. There's a couple gentlemen that I slapped two or three times and they want to hit me, duck, pow, and when they come back to you, we are ready to talk now. I'm not that guy. I'm a loving guy. I'm not a fighter. But sometimes you got to do what you got to do in a situation. Anyways, I should have probably even said that. Do not get a ministry for slapping people. <laughs> Nobody misquote me. Pastor Tim smacks people I can too. No. No. They can't hardly stand in that place anyways. So, anyways. But when I say, who is Jesus to you? They're like, he's, he's, the, he's, the, he's God. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. And I mean, they will literally preach to me who Jesus is. And then when they, after they say all this stuff with tears and passion, I'll say, do you believe that? And they'll go, yes. No, do you believe that? Yes. 
then I can promise you, you did not lose your salvation. Because it tells us to hold firm to the confession of our faith. It doesn't say hold firm to good works and good deeds. Hold firm to the confession of your faith. And you believe in Jesus. You never quit believing in Jesus. And you're right. What you did was stupid. And it it was dumb. But God loves you, dummy. God loves me, dummy. I'm not mean to people. I'm just, you got to understand where they're at mentally so broken. I'm like, God loves you. It ain't about how smart you are, how dumb you are, how much you messed up. It's about, do you believe in Jesus? And I'll ask him, did you ever from your heart say, Jesus, I deny you. I don't want you. I hate you. I don't believe in you. Did you do anything like that? And they're literally every single time appalled, shocked. No, I would never do that. I may not make it to heaven, but I know you. He's the Lord. And I just grin. I'm like, you are saved. And then it's discipleship time. And you know what? When I can get them to tell me who Jesus is and get them to reaffirm their faith, usually deliverance comes right behind it. Then I can go, all you got to do is ask that Savior that you just described to me. Tell him you're sorry. Ask for his forgiveness and the power to deliver you from this addiction. And I mean, within moments, they're out on the floor by the power of the Holy Spirit this time, weeping and crying and getting their life back together. That's deliverance time. After they have professed who Jesus is. And I got down this whole trail to say, we're called to make disciples, not converts. Remember that way back then? And it's time to quit trying to argue people in and they got to know who Jesus is because too many people have prayed a prayer, made a declaration without knowing who he is. Grace bubble, let's finish that up. When you get born again, right? God puts this, uh, it's, it's his plan. You get saved, he's like, I take all the sins away. And when he does that, anybody ever say, oh, I feel light. I feel like a weight lifted off. Something changed. Oh, I just, I can't explain it, but in here it's different. Something, I, I just have peace. I have joy all of a sudden. Ah, I believe, this is my personal belief. This isn't found in scripture. This is my personal belief. Everybody got that? Based on years in ministry and watching this happen over and over and over again, I believe that there's a grace put on people when they get born again, that they live in a faith and grace bubble where nothing touches them. And for a little while, they are just on on fire in love with Jesus. Just like they've been made new, they were dead, they're alive, and they're just like, and everything that goes bad, it just doesn't even touch them. You know what I'm saying? Come on. The things that you do and you reap consequences, those con- the, heart, the crop failure whoosh, on all their sin. It's like mass crop failure. They've sown all these seeds, and God says, no. And they all die. And this person walks in new life, new life, new life. But if you notice, within six months to a year, that bubble wears off. And I've seen it time and time and time and time again. You know what I believe that purpose is for? I believe that bubble is put there by the grace of God to give a protection over a new convert so they have a period of time to be discipled and get a foundation on Christ and get roots down in themselves. Remember the the parable in, in John, it's the first parable he teaches, the sower sows the seeds. And it talks about the roots and all the purpose. And I'm not teaching today. You can read it. You'll find it in uh, Mark chapter 4 is where you'll find it. I said John, but go to Mark 4 because that's where I can think of reference for it. <laughs> Mark chapter 4, the sower sows the seeds. It's not in John at all. There's no parables in John, by the way. So Mark chapter 4, and he sows the seed, right? I believe this grace bubble is here for one purpose, to cover a new 
convert while they grow in Christ. So that as that grace barrier begins to wear away, they now are able to stand in faith with their Lord and move forward in life. What happens is people get born again, they're not discipled in Christ, they don't get a foundation, so when the faith bubble wears away, the rest of the believers around them go, yeah, now you're like the rest of us. When I got, my story is a long story, won't tell it. When I came back to Christ, gave my heart back to Christ, I was on fire. Because I experienced all the cliches that you hear, the weight came off, everything. I had a transformative, impactful encounter with a living God. Radically changed me. I'm talking, I went to church one way, I came home a different way. To such a degree that I had changed so much. And my wife hates when I tell her, but I'm going to tell her anyways. She's not bad. This doesn't make her sound bad. That's why she doesn't like it. It makes me sound bad. No. I changed so dramatically that she opened a separate bank account and began to put all the extra money away because she thought I was only being nice to her because I was getting ready to leave. Which makes me go, how bad was I? Right? It doesn't make you sound bad. It makes me sound bad. That what, what transformed was, I went to church one way and I came home loving, kind, joyful. I wouldn't fight with her anymore. You know what made her madder than anything is that I would not fight with her. Oh, she gets so mad because I wouldn't fight with her. There's something to be learned now, guys. I had a radical experience with God. It was transformed. And you know what? Praise the Lord. When I, the church I went to, I was all on fire, I was excited and all this stuff. And the leaders of the church pulled me aside. The men in the church that were the leaders pulled me aside. And they said, look, we know, we, we know, we get it. I mean, I'm telling you, this was back in 1994. And I can remember it vividly in my mind. Like, I can see all three of them standing there in my mind. I can't tell you what I had for lunch three days ago, but I remember this. And they, they brought me aside, and they had been, one had been to Rama Bible, Bible College and graduated like 15 years before that, been in ministry. This guy had been in Bible school. You know what I'm saying? These were the pillars of this church. They gathered me around. They said, look, you just need to, you need to chill out. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, we get it. You're all excited because it's all new. You're all excited, but just give it some time, man. Don't be so loud. You don't have to clap so loud. You don't have to shout. It's, it's fine. Just give it a little while, and pretty soon you'll be like the rest of us. They literally told me that. You know what I did? Praise God, because I am who I am. I looked at them and I said, no! I didn't even know to say this yet. I said, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I didn't even know that until later that I was supposed to actually do stuff like that. I didn't know. It just came out of me. I said, no! I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I said, I believe that in a little while, you guys are going to be like me. And then I just, I left. And I was the crazy guy in church. Like, I was the crazy guy in church. And I wasn't trying to be the crazy guy. And this is what I discovered. If you're in love with Jesus, you're the crazy guy in the church. What does that say about us? What does that declare about the state of our churches? If somebody who goes, Jesus! Ah! And everybody goes, oh, I don't know what about that person. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about in the flesh, making a show, making a scene. There's flesh and there's worship. 
I'm talking about people who are, who are passionate and literally worship their God. Why are they the weirdos in the modern church? It's broken. We can fix it. You know why your passion went away? Because your grace and faith bubble went away. This is the truth. And you didn't get enough foundation in your identity to learn how to tap into that inner man and draw strength from the inner man. And I can tell you I haven't been perfect, but I didn't lose my faith bubble. It just kept going and going and going. And for whatever how many years, I'm not going to, you do the math from 94 on, I'm old. And some of you guys are like, I was born 72. <laughs> Don't tell us that. Well, you look younger. <laughs> Don't say that. Holy cow. <laughs> I didn't want to know how many years it was. And so, but literally, it's been like this. And praise God, I have a good spouse with me that... I don't walk in depression. I don't live in depression. I don't get depressed. My kids are sitting right there. Bam, 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 bam. I've got all these in-laws now. You, you don't count, though. She's not an in-law. She's a sister to an in-law, but we'll claim her. We love her. My kids are right here. Ask them. They'll tell you. They're, they're grown. Especially when they're teenagers. I'm like, ask them. How many of you, your teenagers, are going to not tell the truth on you? I don't walk in depression. I mean, have you guys ever seen me depressed? Ever, for real. Like, depression isn't a part of who I am. You know why? I don't set my mind on depressing things. Do I experience hard times? Huh, yeah, heck yeah. I, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not trying to go, oh, like who has the hardest times? I'm telling you, I live life like you do. I have to battle things like you have to battle things. But I don't let my mind dwell on those things. I put my mind on Christ and I don't, I'm not depressed. I don't fight depression. And I, and I declare and I tell you it is a lie from the pit of hell that pastors are telling their congregations today that depression is a part of natural life and you should be expecting to be depressed. And pastors are telling their people today, if you're not in counseling, you need to find a good counselor because you're going to need to be in counseling. And I want to, not even in Christ or in love, I want to go the right foot of fellowship right over there. You know what I'm saying? And, and I just want to, and I don't even want to boot them. I want to stick it somewhere, you know? I mean... I'm just, I'm trying to be honest. Like, it, it makes me so angry because it's so unbelief, unscriptural, and 100% connecting and identifying with the nature of man instead of the nature of God. And because we don't know who he is, we don't honor him the way he should be. Sam, I need you up here, buddy. Because I could do it to Sam. No, just come right up here. <laughs> just come walking to me. Here's how we treat Jesus. It's Jesus. Come here, Jesus. Yo, what up, Jim? What up, G, man? What up, what up, what up, homie? What up, bro? Come on, man. What up? Hey, how you doing? Come, come, come. I feel like I'm going to get it. What are you doing, Jesus? Come on. Oh, what's that? Come here, buddy. Come here. Oh, uh, it's my buddy. It's my buddy. This is my buddy. What up, bro? Come on, come on. Oh, what up, bro? Pistol. Okay. I know. You don't know what to do. He's doing. Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, Jesus is my buddy, man. He's my bro. Yeah, hey, hey. Come with me while I go do something. Am I coming or am I staying? I'm staying there, buddy. Oh, okay. <laughs> what up, 
with Jesus? I thought we were bros. I thought we were buddies. I was told to stay here. I thought you had my back. <laughs> you can come sit down now. That's all I needed with the rough stuff. You guys hear what I'm saying? <laughs> We've gone. Oh, how about this? We've gone too far. This is not a popular opinion, but it needs to be said. If you're not in a super religious church, the pendulum swings over here. And you're in a crazy Jesus fanatic church, right? In the crazy Jesus fanatic church, we've gone so far to go away from the judgmental, mean, hard-hearted God that we have literally downgraded Jesus to our buddy. He's our best friend. I can tell you time and time again how many people I hear say he's my best friend. And I know there's a balance to this because he, Jesus himself said, like, you know, you're my friends and all this stuff. I get it. But what I want to throw out is not to tear this whole thing down. Please hear me. Not to say you shouldn't say he's my best friend. But there has to be somewhere that we understand that, yes, Jesus is my friend. He's my savior. But above and beyond that, he is our Lord. You know, it says when Paul was talking about taking communion, he said there's many that are weak, sick, and some even sleep. And that word for sleep means die. In the congregation, there's many that are weak, that are sick, and some are dying because they did not rightly understand the body and the blood of Jesus. Please hear me. Jesus is your friend, and he's for you, and he loves you, but he's your Lord. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, you need a Lord more than you need a buddy. He ain't your buddy. I'm sorry. He ain't your buddy. He's your Lord and Savior, and he's got your back. He, he did everything for you. He, he, I could go through all the stuff. You get it. He paid the price you couldn't pay. He gave his life. Greater love has no man than this. But he laid down his life for his neighbor, for his friend. He said, I lay down my life for you. You know, you've been told that the Bible's a love story. Anybody heard that? Anybody heard that? Now you're scared to answer. The Bible's a love story. This is what I was told. And I was very disappointed when I began to read it. We'll be real. I'm not saying it's not a love story. I'm saying we don't understand what love is and what love is like and what love does. We think love's emotions and feelings. Guess what? In Corinthians, it defines that love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not arrogant. Love doesn't boast. It's not jealous. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. I missed a couple, but go with me. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Not one thing in what we call the love chapter has anything to do with your emotions. Not one part of that description has anything to do with your emotions. It's all choices and actions. Because you love, you do this. I picked up this Bible and I expected it to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. 
like Sarah singing, I love you, I love you. I literally expected to see Jesus saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I found he never says it one time. Did you know that? Not one time in this New Testament. Now, you can get some weird translation that will change it where he says, I love you. And I'm telling you, if you're doing that, you need to get a good translation because they're twisting it because he never said it. It doesn't mean he didn't mean it. He demonstrated it. The closest he ever comes to saying it is twice when he says, Greater love hath no man than this. I already quoted it. He laid down his life for, the, for others. And he said, I am the one who lays down his life for you. You know what he's saying? Greater love hath no one for you than me. That's what he's saying. The only other place is in John 14, 15, 17, when he prays and he says, Father, I have loved them as you have loved me. That's the only other place that he declares that he has loved the people. How does he do it? He shows them time and time again when he walks into a village and heals all who are sick and oppressed of the enemy. My point in this isn't to take away from you. It isn't to take away a feeling. It's to give you a better feeling because if you truly understand what love is like, what love does, who Jesus is and how he shows love, it'll give you even more confidence. Because we base it so much on feelings, when we don't feel loved, we don't think God loves us. A lot of our, our Christian walk is based on our feelings instead of based on our faith and based on the word. Remember, your emotions lie. I don't have to go through a long example. I've done it before. I won't do a long example. I've got 10 minutes here. And that's me stretching the time. If you have a, someone call you that you trust and they tell you that a loved one, a child or a wife or a grandchild was just hit by a car and they're being life flighted to the hospital, if you trust that person, what feelings would you experience? Glory, fear, violence, anger, stress. You know what? You might jump in the car and get in a car wreck and hurt yourself and others trying to get to the hospital. And let's just say for a sake of argument that that person you trust just didn't understand what a good and proper practical joke is. And they thought they were just going to practical joke you. And they called. There was no truth in it. It was a total lie. They called. But because you believed a lie, you will experience every gambit of the emotions. And you let those emotions control you. And then you find out it never happened. And if you're a normal human being, then you like slap them or punch them or whatever. They're no longer your friend because it was crazy, right? I know that's an extreme example, but it, we can all picture it and understand it and imagine it. If you had a child in school and this principal called you and said your child was stabbed, you're rushing into the hospital. And then come to find out they, after you get to the hospital and your kid's not there and you figure it all out, they go, oh, we're sorry, we dialed the wrong number. We meant to call a little Sally instead of Susie. But you would experience every bit of this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your emotions lie. The word of God is the truth. And the word of God is what you should build your life on because your emotions come and go. And when your emotions want to go crazy, you got to say, nope, the word says this. The word says that. 
And if you build your life on the word, then your emotions will line up to the word. Why? That's how it works. The fruit of the spirit. Tiffany, I heard her say it earlier. Today. You guys know the fruit of the spirit, right? Love. Joy. Yeah, he's named it all. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith, self-control. Right? What is it, though? What is that? There you go. He's going to He's ready to preach. It's called the fruit. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying the fruit of the Spirit. It literally means it's a byproduct of the Spirit of God being in you. A byproduct is the fruit that comes out, right? A literal byproduct of the Holy Spirit being in you is joy. A direct result of a relationship with God is peace. It's the fruit. You don't see trees. I got an apple tree in my backyard. I have watched and stared at that thing multiple times. And you know what? I have never seen that apple tree go. <laughs> and apples just start popping out. Have you ever seen a tree do that? I haven't. I've never seen an apple tree just go. And apples just pop out. It bears fruit. It's a byproduct. It's a part of how it's made. It's its nature. It's how it's created. It's inside of it. And it's a process that goes through. Guys, you have a new nature. You've been created by God. You will bear fruit if you will allow the process that God has put in your life. You don't have to make fruit come out. You set your eyes on him and put your heart on him and be obedient to what he asks you to do every day. And fruit comes. Love comes. Joy comes. Peace comes. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. Does this minister to anybody today? I hope so. It does me. I'm not going to preach it all, but I'm going to at least show you. Courtney drew it all. Here we go. Five minutes, and I want to teach this for an hour. Because I want to give a lot of examples. But here's where we start. Dead in sin. We start dead in sin. We start because we're born after the seed of Adam, right? You know, everybody know Adam and Eve? We're born after the seed of Adam, so we're born in sin. When we go to Jesus, here's the cross, and I could have had a draw more, but we go through the cross, right? We go through the cross. You understand what I mean by through the cross? We don't actually go, Jesus went for us. And through the finished work of the cross, like I, I would have had it written more, but we didn't. I didn't have time to tell her. Through the finished work of the cross, and by the finished work of the cross, I mean that includes the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the finished work. Some people leave Jesus on the cross. You're running around your neck maybe with Jesus on the cross. I'm sorry, that's the beginning. He was also buried, and there's things that happened during that time, and then he was resurrected and ascended. So it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection that's the finished work of the cross. And you can't take the cross as just a part of it. You can't leave him... On the cross, you can't leave him in the tomb. It's all, and you don't want to just look at resurrection because there's, the cross isn't empty. How about I say it this way? The cross is no longer empty. Because some people go, oh, I have the empty cross. It's not empty anymore. Your sins and sicknesses are on that cross. You know, according to Colossians, the law was nailed to that cross. So you have the law and the penalty for not following the law is on that cross. That's a lot bigger subject than I than you know, maybe. Maybe you do, but I'm telling you. This is why I want to preach it. 
So we go through the finished work of the cross. We were, we were dead in sin. We were buried in baptism. And I never finished this phrase. And we were raised to walk in newness of life. And now we're alive in Christ. When you were dead in your sins, you were sick, sad, and sinful. But you go through the cross, you go from sick, sad, and sinful to happy, healthy, and holy. You got it? It's not hard. It's very simple, right? Over here, you're dead in sin. You're dead in your sin and transgressions. And when you were when you were there, you were sick, sad, and sinful. Once you go through the cross, you're alive in Christ, and you're happy, healthy, holy. So let me ask you, are you sick, sad, and sinful today? I don't want a faith answer. And in fact, I don't even want you to answer. This is a rhetorical question because it's, people, I'm not getting on to you. I'm just saying, I don't, I'm not trying to spark a bunch of, that's right, we're not, we're not. I don't want you to give me the raw, raw Christian answer. I'm not ever looking for that. What I want you to actually think of, and I think she's being honest to say no, but there's people in here that if you're being honest, you're living in sick, sad, and sinful. Again, don't answer. Think about it. In your life, how often is sick, sad, and sinful the mainstay? How much of your Christian walk is about trying to mitigate or remove sick, sad, and sinful from your life? You know, this is all a part of the curse, being dead, sick, sad, and sinful. And any amount of justification that you are going to do, well, this went on, or well, this happened, or well, I experienced this, is, is us trying to justify trying to live in this old realm. I didn't say you'd like it. It just is, guys. Again, I said this before. A lot of people don't let the truth get in the way of what they believe. And I'm really closing with this. In your life, if most of the time you're sick, sad, and sinful, remember we started a, a Bible verse that I never finished because I couldn't get past the mercies of God? Let me ask you this question. Let's read it. Hebrews chapter 12. And I know I'm only reading two verses, but I quoted like six, seven, eight verses today, guys. There's some there's scripture behind this. Just because I didn't go through today every verse, it's there. What did I say? Romans. I don't know what I said. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And it says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's what we got, remember? Everybody say mercies. See, we're back to the beginning. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is well-pleasing, well-pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You want to know how to worship God? How come we don't have seminars in our worship talking about believing the word and walking in truth is the number one way to worship God? I have never heard that taught, and I've probably been to, I don't, I don't want to over-exaggerate, but probably 20 different worship seminars, and not one time have I heard them talk about this verse, which is your acceptable service of worship before God. And when I do hear it, I always hear it taught about you need to live holy. It's always about your works. Romans 12, 1 and 2 always gets to be about quit sinning and start living holy. And if you read it in context, it's not about your works. It's about God's power, God's grace. It starts with, if, if you're living in sick, sad, and sinful in your life, I'm not asking you to change your behavior. 
I'm not asking you to stop doing stuff. And you're like, what? I'm asking you to start believing in who he is and who he is in you. And present your body before him in all of its flaws, in all of its sickness, sadness, sinfulness. Present your bodies to him. By what? By the mercies of God. What do I mean by this? You're not focused on you and what you're doing. You're focused on the mercy of God. I'm not going to get what I deserve for this behavior, so I don't have to stay here. I can go through the cross to the throne of grace and receive mercy and help in my time of need. If you're living here, stop trying to be good. Stop trying to do better. Stop trying to do right stuff and start believing that he is who he said he is. He did what he said he would do and you are who he says that you are. And if you'll stand on the word and begin to believe, then sadness is a lie. That's the old man. Uh, Courtney, right? Old man, new man. You're, you're identifying with the old man, and I really am going to wrap this up, I promise, right here, but this is wrapping everything we talked about today, bringing it together. All too often in our lives, we identify with the old man, the old nature, the old ways. And you know how I know? Because whenever you talk, ask, I mean, we do it all the time, instead of the new man. When people talk about the disciples and how they identify them with the disciples, I'm going to tell you 99% of the time when I hear them, they're identifying with them in the old man's ways. Oh, I really understand Thomas because I doubt a lot too. I have a hard time believing. I really understand Thomas. I can really identify with Thomas because I, I struggle to believe. The old man. Oh, man, I know I can identify with Peter, man. He was a son of thunder, man. That's me. I identify with Peter because he had an attitude. And he, he wasn't afraid to say a cuss word or two. And, you know, that's just who I am. I identify with Peter. Oh, man. Are you identifying with the disciples before the finished work of the cross or after? Because most of the time when we're identifying with the disciples, we're identifying with them before the death burial and resurrection of Christ because then they got the Holy Spirit and everything began to change. Oh, I'm thinking of this old covenant guy. I really identify with Abraham. I identify with Moses or Elijah or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or you just name them, Daniel. Guess what? All of them died without receiving what was promised. Hebrews chapter 11. They longed for what we have. But we're identifying with old men. We're longing for the old days. Does it make sense? Hallelujah. All right. So if you feel sick, sad, and sinful, quit identifying with the old man. Start identifying with the new man. Be happy, healthy, holy. Amen. We want to be happy, healthy, holy. Not sick, sad, and sinful. You live, you can live in happy, healthy, holy. You can walk in this. I told you before, not to brag, but as a testimony, I don't get depressed. I don't fight depression. I've never been depressed. Not since I've been born again. Why? I got discipled and I understood. I have the joy of the Lord. It's my strength. I've lost my job before. I've had people do all kinds of crazy stuff. We don't got to go through the list. I've had problems where I could have gotten depressed. I tell people sometimes, if I thought about the things you think about all day, I'd be depressed too. But I don't think about those things. Right? Okay, anyways, let's finish the verse so we can finish this up. <sighs> I want to preach for four hours. That's why I'm like, ah. 
Okay, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is well-pleasing to God. Well-pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not, or be ye not, if you're reading a good old King James, conformed to the image of this world, but be ye transformed. I memorize King James. By the renewing of your mind. By what? Be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by doing a lot of good works. Be transformed by stopping to do a lot of bad stuff. Be transformed by putting on new clothes. Be transformed by acting like, you know, you get it, right? It doesn't say that. It says by be transformed by renewing your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I'll stop there because if I keep reading, I'll have to preach more. Be not conformed to the image of this world. What's the world living in? Sick, sad, and sinful. Why? They're lost. They're not saved. They're sick, sad, and sinful. And how come as believers we look like the world, we act like the world, we do like the world? I'm going to say this, and people are going to get mad at me, and it's fine. Get mad. I don't care. I'm not trying to be offensive. Even though I have a license to offend you. The gospel is offensive. I'm a minister of the gospel. And the Bible itself says the gospel is offensive. And I'm licensed to offend you. (laughs) And I'm going to say it anyways. And this isn't about bragging. This isn't about anything. I don't like saying this stuff. But I'm going to tell you, which means I'm going to have to battle this next week. Just, you know, I can give a praise report later. You'll understand when I say it. You know, I haven't been sick in almost 20 years. It was in the old man. I've learned how to press into the new man. And you go, oh, he's just lucky. He's just blessed. I didn't say I haven't fought sickness in 20 years. I haven't been sick. My kids are right here. When's the last time you remember me sick? When? When was there a time, besides when I broke my back, that you guys, you guys didn't see me when I went late in bed? Like, oh, I don't feel good. I'm going to go lay in bed. (laughs) It's true. And my back is totally healed. I crushed, crushed vertebrae, broke stuff, did stuff, and I had excruciating pain for three months. I didn't say I didn't fight it. I fought it. I broke my back. The doctor said, if you're good, I won't put you in a brace. I said, I'll be good. And I was back on the roof working. I was being good. I didn't lift up the bundles. I just laid the shingles. And so uh, my wife was not happy with that. And so I'm not saying I didn't fight it. I fought it. Was it a truth? Yes, it is a truth, but not the truth. The Bible says in Corinthians, it says uh, that we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. Okay, here's the things that are seen. We look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary. They're subject to change by the word of God. By the word of God. 
So with my back in particular, it was broke all the stuff, but I didn't take pain meds, not because I'm tough, because I'm believing God. I'm not condemning anybody here. I don't know what's going on in your life. Do not be condemned by what I'm saying. I'm not judging you. I'm not putting any judgment upon you. I don't know what you're doing. All I'm telling you is, as Christians, we have come under a lie and deception to where we think it's okay to live in sick, sad, and sinful and identify with the rest of the world without even trying to stand for what God has for us. And that is unscriptural. That's not biblical. That is not what God has called you to do. And I'm telling you, at that time, you don't need a, hey, bro, what up, Jesus? You need a Savior. You need a Lord, the King of Kings, who walks in and says, sickness is gone. Why? Because he, by his authority, paid for it on the cross. And he says, it's yours. You know when you receive salvation, the Greek word of salvation is sozo, sozo. And in sozo, it actually means to be forgiven, healed, delivered, and prospered, or made whole, made well. We got the forgiveness of sins down, kind of, in the church. But this whole healing thing is a whole other topic, right? Guess what? One word used for forgiveness of sins and healing of your body. You remember the woman who touched the hem of his garment and was made whole? So-so. When he says that his blood washed away our sins, so-so. The same word, a different message I can preach, but I'm telling you guys, there's not departmentalized forgiveness and healing and salvation and all this. It's one work. When you got born again, you received all of the finished work that you needed. You don't need... Jesus to be whipped again. It says this in Hebrews. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But once for all, at the consummation of the ages, that means the joining together of all time, past, present, and future. In one moment, he put away sin for all time, for all men, forever. He made an eternal redemption. Eight times in Hebrews, it says eternal redemption or forever sins are taken care of eternal forever. Amen? Once for all. And here's even better news. When I say past, present, and future, some of you guys think about your own life, your past, today and tomorrow. You're not even in that. It's his past. It's eternity past. It's his past, his present, and his future. That's so much better, guys. Yeah, we're in it because by faith we believe and we're brought in. We're adopted as sons. We get salvation, but part of salvation is this. And so, so like, we don't have to live under this. And why are we feeling pressure from believers? How come it is when a Christian says, I'm going to believe for healing, all the Christians around him will begin to say, oh, it ain't going to work. If you're believing God, I advise you just keep your mouth shut and believe God. To where Paul says, if, uh, if you have faith, keep it to yourself. I know we ought to share testimonies and stuff, and I don't, I'm not saying it braggadocious, and I've got my kids and my wife here, and they can tell on me. I haven't paid them. They don't have to say nothing. They can say whatever they want to say, and I'm not saying it like I've been good. And I'm, No, what I've done is believe God. I've had to fight sicknesses. When I broke my back, Jason was around me. He knew. I was like, yeah, I'm awesome. Whatever. You know, my own serious pain. It hurt. You've never had bones grinding on bones? I had three vertebrae. That whatever that cartilage junk is, is that what it is? I don't know what it is. The jelly stuff in between your vertebrae got squished out. I needed some more grape jelly in my disc or whatever that is. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. It squished out. I had fractured vertebras, the right word, right? Fractured vertebras and jelly squished. So the bones were rubbing bone to bone. 
And the doctor, when he saw my x-rays, he's like, you're in excruciating pain right now, probably. And he's like, got a, grabs a, a needle out. I'm like, what are you doing with that? He's like, I'm going to give you a shot of pain meds. I said, don't you dare. I don't want it. And then he looks at me like I'm a drug addict. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. I don't want it. And he goes, why? Because it's not strong enough? And I said, no, I don't want any pain meds. If I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to manage it. Like, if it gets really bad, I'll take a couple Advil. But other than that, I think I'm fine. It's really not that bad. And he, the doctor told me, the ER doctor goes, it's the first time that I've had somebody turn down drugs that wasn't trying to get something stronger. He goes, I've literally never had anybody with this say no. And I said, well, I believe in God. And I gave him my whole little spiel. I believe in a real God who loves us and hears us when we pray and all this stuff, you know. And he's like, yeah, 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 get out of here, wacko. And so, but, but, but we were at a worship conference and my back had been hurting. And Melissa grabbed it, Jason and Tiffany and uh, Brian and I don't know who else was in here. I don't know who else was in here. Grabbed several people and we all went together at this worship conference. And she said, all right, get over here. Enough is enough. His back's been hurting for too long. We've been believing God. We need agreement. Everybody lay hands on him. Today's the day we're receiving it. And I said, come on. And they all lay hands on me. And we prayed and about two minutes into it. Bam, my back was healed. And I, and I even told him because they're praying. I'm like, I was like, I'm healed. I'm done. I'm like, I'm done. And Jason was like, you know, start weeping. And, 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 but it was funny is a couple other people kept praying for me. And, and they're not here today, so I can say it. You know, they, they prayed for me. And, and I was like, I'm like, tapping him like, thank you, thank you. I'm healed. And they opened my eyes like, okay, where are you right now? And I'm like, hey, buddy, hey, it's okay. You can stop praying now. I'm healed. It happened. And they're like, no, seriously. I'm like, yes. And they pull me aside and they go, I want to know, I want to know. Is this, are you really healed or is this one of those, oh, it just feels a little better. I was like, dude, I have been in serious pain for the last three months. I knew when it happened because it's the first time in three months I haven't wanted to like claw my skin off because it's that kind of pain, right? And, and I said, look, I couldn't do this five minutes ago. I'm healed. And so in saying that, saying that I... I haven't been sick in 20 years doesn't mean I haven't thought sickness. I've literally been on the job site and go, excuse me, go on the corner, and then go, I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm healed by his stripes. I, I, I was healed. That means I am healed, and I go back to work. But I can tell you this. In 20 years, no sickness has lasted in my body for more than 24 hours. Not because I'm great, because he's great. And I've learned how to stand on the word and fight in this area. I'm here to tell you, don't have to come under the system of the world. Because I'm telling you, it's sick, sad, and sinful. And I don't mean this in condemnation. I'm not judging you if you take medicine. I have family members that take. They can witness. I'm like, if I, I don't condemn. You want to go to the doctor? Go to the doctor. If you want to take medicine, take medicine. I'm like, but pray first. Believe first. Let's stand first. Why? Why do I say that? Because though I'm their husband, her husband and father, I can't live their faith for them. And no matter how much I want it to happen, I can't make it happen for them. Every person individually has to take the word and believe it for themselves and go forward with God. You can't stand on someone else's faith. Don't take, well, I heard Pastor Tim's testimony. I'm going to, I'm going to, you take, I heard the word say, in the world, I'm going to start believing it. Go, okay, God, I'm going to believe it. And then let me tell you, be ready for a fight because your flesh will not like. It won't like it.
Your flesh says, I own you, I control you, I tell you where to go, what to do, when to eat, how much to eat, right? Amen. Okay. Everybody got this in a nutshell? Praise the Lord. I'm going to close because I went, I did go long, but hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Father, we honor you and we worship you. We declare you are holy, you are mighty. Lord, I pray right now that you would open the eyes of our understanding and that our eyes would lift up and we would begin to look past our lives and religion and begin to see you. That you be revealed to us, Father, in ways that we haven't yet seen. Father, I pray for faith to rise up in every person's heart today. That we don't have to do it on our own, but you gave us faith. That we can stand and believe and trust in you. You're our Savior. You're our Lord. You're our protector. We honor you, Father. We magnify you. Lord, we, we just praise you. We worship you. We thank you. We glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I will say this last thing too.